Trading in futures products entails significant risk of loss, which must be understood prior to trading and may not be appropriate for all investors. Good morning, everybody. It's Monday, April 24th, 5.30 a.m. Central Time. As I speak here, Mackenzie, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Joe? I'm good. Uh, I was told that since we changed formats, I don't read the quotes anymore. So I'm going to start doing that this morning. Uh, July corn futures, guys, down six and a quarter at 6.09. July soybeans up one and three quarters at 14.50 and three quarters. July Chicago wheat up one and three quarters at 6.74 and three quarters. July Kansas City wheat up two and a half at 8.28. July spring wheat up five and three quarters at 8.51 and a half. Where are we going to start here this morning? So uh, the U.S. will import soybeans from Brazil. At least two vessels carrying about 3 million bushels of Brazilian soybeans will begin making their way to the U.S. this week. Brazilian soybeans trade at a massive discount to U.S. soybeans on the export market, which makes imports attractive to East Coast feed operations. The trade has been well aware of the weak cash market in Brazil, the U.S. imports some soybeans every year. According to USDA data, the U.S. imported 16 million bushels of soybeans last year and will import 15 million bushels this year. So we do import some soybeans from Brazil every year. So I think that's kind of like a misnomer. Like people think this is like some sort of big anomaly and it's not. Um, we we do import beans every year. The, the more important thing than the fact that we're importing 3 million bushels of beans, and maybe that number gets bigger, is the discount. Um, this was a quote from Dr. Michael Cordonier. We follow his crop estimates, but he's talking about um, the pricing uh, here in this Reuters piece. He said, the discount is like $2 a bushel coming out of Brazil. They say that is enough to pay for the transportation cost. So the issue is not that we're importing beans from Brazil. The issue is the price structure, uh, which is a big deal. So could you make the argument that U.S. beans are overpriced? I guess you could say that, um, you know, this isn't really our window for the United States when it comes to exports. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to we're not going to do a ton of export business the way that uh, the market is set up right now. And these imports really shouldn't be a big surprise. And it's not a huge amount. Again, 15 million bushels a year is what we import. We're talking three million bushels um, in this particular uh, uh, deal, the way that it sounds. Let's get out to the weather here. A weekend, a weekend freeze event may have damaged U.S. winter wheat crops. Parts of Kansas, Colorado, Nebraska, and South Dakota spent several hours below freezing on Sunday morning. According to weather data from Kansas State University, some HRW wheat areas of central and western Kansas were below freezing for as many as 8 to 10 hours. The Corn Belt was just as cold in, man, in many areas and will remain cold this week. On average, over the next seven days, temperatures across much of the Corn Belt will run 10 degrees below normal. Below normal temperatures are expected to be a trend through the first full week of May. So these uh, temperatures in parts of Kansas and uh, elsewhere, your HRW wheat areas, they got a little bit colder than what we had thought they might be on Friday. Yet the market doesn't seem to care at all. You look at HRW wheat futures this morning, they're like barely higher. Uh, the market is just disinterested in this. Um, I don't know what the extent of the damage, if there is damage, will be. I know some people will probably write in the comments, Joe, the wheat's not even up yet or never came up. It's been too dry. Uh, if you guys have updates on this, if you're in one of these areas where you have winter wheat, it was up, you had a freeze event, uh, what do you think the impact is going to be? Uh, you must have had the same sort of stuff in your neighborhood. Were you guys yeah, like it was 30? Quite chilly. I mean, you had a, 
Yeah, I mean, so this was, it, it was everywhere. I mean, it was Nebraska, certainly, and anywhere north of Kansas. And I think the freeze event even went as far south as maybe some places in Oklahoma. I'm not too sure. Uh, when you look at precipitation here over the next seven days, um, it's kind of scattered, like kind of some sparse stuff in the Corn Belt. There is this rain event that's expected for parts of Kansas, southwest Kansas in particular. And this Given that this is only a few days out now, um, this is like through Thursday. So you may see some rain here in this southwest corner of Kansas, which is horribly, horribly dry into uh, western Oklahoma, north Texas uh, here this week. And it looks a little bit more likely. These are not huge amounts, but I mean an inch, inch and a half of rain may not necessarily be a bad deal, would certainly be welcome. I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen in regard to U.S. Uh, corn and soybean planting this week. If you guys are in the Midwest, uh, you're planning on planting this week, or if you think the conditions are just not there, drop us a comment here in the uh, uh, YouTube video in the comment section. We'd love to hear uh, what you think. Hey guys, make sure to check out our premium content. Joe, tell me about our recent videos. Uh, Chris Barron from AgView Solutions joined me on Thursday last week, I believe. He had some absolutely fantastic charts. So most of you guys, myself included, were used to looking at charts of corn prices, soybean prices, wheat prices, cattle prices, whatever. Chris had some charts of on-farm ROI over the years, like annual charts dating back, I think, 10 or 15 years of his uh, customer base. What does the average on-farm uh, return on investment look like per crop uh, by year? And it, it looks kind of like a corn chart or soybean chart, but it's actually probably a much better way to uh, uh, chart markets and, and your business um, as, as far as the markets are concerned and uh, your budgets is, is really, really great stuff. It's a great visual way to look at this. And then we had another one on Friday. Uh, it was a mailbag video. Mailbag videos are where a subscriber send in questions over a week or 10-day period, and we answer them. So, Mackenzie, you were on uh, this video with me. We talked about everything from free weather resources, uh, new crop marketing, old crop marketing, all sorts of different stuff. If you guys are interested in the premium deal, Sign up today. Go to standardgrain.com. You can sign up on your phone. Uh, all you need is your credit card. It'll take you about one minute. Remember, uh, no other fee, no other obligation. Cancel at any time. This is just a $50 per month deal, guys. Uh, check it out here this morning. So large money managers have added length in the corn market. CFTC released weekly commitment of traders data on Friday. During the week ending April 18th, the funds were net buyers of 29,000 contracts of corn. They were also buyers of 11,000 contracts of soybeans and 1,000 contracts of SRW wheat for the week. So we've got kind of a mixed bag here in terms of fund positioning. You've got funds with what I would call a modest net long in the corn market, 58,000. And that's probably been reduced since last Tuesday. Soybeans, that's a pretty sizable net long, 136,000. And this is a big time net short in the SRW wheat market. And again, like the, the wheat market and wheat traders just seem unfazed by like every piece of friendly news. Um, freeze event in Kansas. You got the Black Sea Grain deal we're going to talk about here in a second. They just don't care. And they appear to be uh, very comfortable in this big net short position. Latvia will allow Russian fertilizer to be shipped to Kenya. So a shipment of Russian fertilizer stored in Latvia was shipped to Kenya on Friday by the United Nations World Food Program. The cargo has been held in Latvia since it was seized after Moscow's initial invasion of Ukraine last February. The shipment is the first of roughly 200,000 tons of Russian fertilizer stored in Latvia by companies subject to EU sanctions. Fertilizers are exempt from sanctions against Russia Russia, but Latvia has been reluctant to unblock shipments. The move could help uh, could help the United Nations effort efforts to extend the Black Sea grain deal. 
So the UN and then the broader West, I think, appear to be on like two different pages. The UN appears very interested in keeping the Black Sea grain deal alive. And that's what this is. But the United States, like they don't want to give Russia anything. They don't want any concessions, no sanction relief, none of that, which kind of takes us to our next uh, couple of stories here. So the end of the Black Sea grain deal may be coming sooner than we thought. The agreement may begin winding down this week after Russia said it will not approve any new vessels unless their operators guarantee the transits will be completed by May 18th, which is when the deal is set to expire. Inbound and outbound ship inspections have taken a total of 21 days on average this month. Russia believes this move will help them avoid commercial losses and possible safety risks. Russia's foreign minister is set to to meet with the United Nations Secretary General today in New York to discuss the future of the deal. Okay, so you got a meeting today. It's probably going to go nowhere. I don't think the U.S. is going to give in to anything. I think this next story, if, if there is any more fresh type news this morning, this next story might be it. So a ban on exports to Russia would present further challenges to the grain deal. The deputy chair of Russia's, Russia's Security Council said over the weekend that a G7 ban on exports to Russia would result in retaliation. The retaliation would involve a withdrawal from the grain deal. Russia would also consider banning some of its own exports. Okay, so this is uh, Medvedev, who was the former Russian prime minister and also president. He said this. The total ban on export of goods to our country by default is a wonderful idea because it also implies retaliation and a ban on imports from our country. The grain deal will end, he said uh, in quotes. So if Russia, so if the G7 bans exports of items to Russia and Russia decides to retaliate and, and restrict exports, um, I guess just thinking out loud, what if Russia restricts fertilizer exports? They're a huge fertilizer export. Uh, exporter. They're, they're among the top uh, exporters of, of every major fertilizer product. Uh, wheat would be the other thing. Russia is the biggest wheat exporter on the planet. Would they restrict exports there? Again, the market seems disinterested in all of this. And I guess I understand why there's a new, there's a new headline, like, like on the hour, every hour, I mean, regarding Russia and the grain deal and mm -hmm. how they're not going to participate. So I guess it's like, it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf, you know, I mean, it's, it's turning into that. It's a lot of talk without any real uh, action, but if they take action, then maybe something happens. But for right now, it just doesn't appear as if that's the case. Uh, we had a Catalan feed report on Friday. We sure did. And for the most part, it was a bearish report, I'd have to say. So yeah. to go over what we saw, um, actual inventory missed analyst projections by 1%, essentially uh, same inventory as we had last year on April 1st. Uh, the most important number that everyone's going to look at that's going to really impact the market here this morning, placements. Um, they were expected to be down right around 95%, but they came in basically the same as we had last year. And just because that placement number matches what we saw last year doesn't mean there's a whole bunch of cattle out there all of a sudden. It's just the mere fact in the month of March um, in the south, it was too dry for people to turn out cattle. In the north, it was too cold. So what are you going to do? You're going to put them in the feedlot. So that's what's going on there. But regardless of that logic, regardless of the fund fundamentals, the market isn't going to consider that. And uh, I definitely see this is this negatively impacting the market this week. Um, marketings, they were basically hit spot on. Um, they were expected, expected to be down 99.1%, came in 98.9% down. Um, so basically what we saw last year. I will say, uh, based on my experience, the market, the trade misses the placement number by like several, several percentage points 
almost every month. This on-feed number, which missed by almost a full percentage point, is probably the bigger deal. I'm assuming a lot of people are going to call cattle lower to start this morning. Uh, that doesn't have to be the case necessarily, but that's probably the way I would uh, lean as well. Outside markets this morning, guys, U.S. dollars a little bit lower. Stock markets off nine points in the S&P, down 65 in the Dow Jones. Fairly quiet. Bonds are up a little bit. Uh, gold's up five bucks. Crude oil down 12 cents, 77.60 in the July WTI. Mackenzie, have a great day. Uh, everybody, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow morning.